Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. So welcome to Financially Ever After, coming to you every other week with the information you need to make smart decisions during and after your divorce. And today we have a very special guest who was introduced to me by a wonderful, wonderful friend that I've known for years and years. And Mickey McQuaid comes to us highly, highly recommended. And she's a clinical social worker and a psychotherapist whose primary work is focused on working with individuals who and couples who are contemplating going through or recovering from divorce. In this capacity, she also works with individuals and couples through the collaborative divorce process. And she'll talk to us a little bit more about what that is. And we also have some great resources that we'll have in our show notes, really referring to the collaborative divorce process so that you understand what that is and if it might be the best for you. In this role, Mickey has witnessed hundreds of couples work through financial decisions that will affect mom, dad, and the children for years to come. She also helps parents creating parenting agreements and parenting schedules that work for their family. She went through her own divorce and went through that in 1993 with four children grappling with very, very limited earning ability at that time. She worked hard, she went back to school, earned both her bachelor's degree from SUNY Empire State College, as well as a master's degree from Columbia University School of Social Work. And I am very excited to have you here because you come to this type of work from deep experience throughout your career, but also from a personal perspective that we don't always have. So thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Stacy. It's a pleasure. So when you were in that time with your children, the four children, and you know, looking at different careers, how did you come to then going into social work, psychotherapy? Was that something you had always thought about even before when you were with the kids at home? Or was that something that at that point made sense for you? No, it was not something I had thought about before. I was working graphic design up until the time I went through my divorce and after actually for a while. The way I came to it was that I was a member of Mm Al-Anon for a long time and that is for families of alcoholics. So I was practicing the 12 steps in Al-Anon and I thought it was such a great way to live. It really helped me reorder my priorities and most importantly, understand what I could control and what I can't control. It was a lot of work and re-examination of my way of being. And so I thought then it might be a good idea to start a group for people going through divorce and apply these principles that had been so helpful to me to the situation of divorce. So the first meeting was in 1993 and it ran for 25 years. Wow. And that's what my first book is about is Getting Up, Getting Over, Getting On, A 12-Step Guide to Divorce Recovery. It lays out how the 12 steps of AA, Al-Anon, Narcanon, et cetera, et cetera, 
apply to divorce and they really help a lot. They've helped a lot of people over the years. And it sounds like from your experience that the 12 steps of Al-Anon are helpful, not only for someone going through a divorce who is divorcing someone with an addiction, but even for someone who might not be divorcing right. someone with addiction. Tell me a little bit more about that, because often when we think of Al-Anon, we think immediately their spouse has an addiction and the services and the support is for them. But it sounds like there are a lot of key pieces that can be helpful for any woman. Definitely. The way they're talked about the steps is that they're a blueprint for living for everybody. It's something that once you get the hang of it, it really applies to everything. And that's why the groups have been so successful over the years, starting in the 1930s, like 1937, and still going strong all over the world in various capacities, mostly related to alcohol. But in our context, the most important thing it points out is that we're powerless over other people, that we can't change other people. And so many times, especially women, we try to change and make things better and help and help. And we're powerless really to change another adult human being. We can influence a person by our own behavior, but we can't change them. That's a big difference. And it took me a while to figure that one out. And so then if we're powerless over others, which is the first step of our program, then what do I do with my spare time? You know, like once I give up all the control I've been trying to manage. So then the next step is then to work on me mm-hmm. and where are my deficits and what can I do? So the 12 steps help people switch from he did this, he did that, or she did this and she did that. And I've been wronged and all that, which may be true, but it doesn't help us going forward. What helps us going forward is to identify what was my part in it which is all of, that's what the steps are about. Mm -hmm. Identifying my own piece and making corrections whenever I can. Mm -hmm. That's really the gist of it. It almost sounds, I mean, in other words of, you know, what is my, my piece of this was my ownership of this. Exactly. And what piece is not. Yes. Yes. So as you said, in the introduction, I had very limited funds when I was divorcing And I'd like to just speak to that at limited funds before we finish, but to finish my point here, that I realized that I had to take care of myself and my kids. Now, my ex-husband, to give him credit, was very good about sending what he said he would send on time, but I only had exactly the amount to pay the bills. If there was a car accident, I had four drivers, four teenage drivers, my uh, bodywork guy knew me by first name. I would say, Vinny, it's Mickey again, (laughs) because there was always something going wrong. So I realized I needed to make money. So I found out about Empire State College, which I think all of your listeners should know about. It's a college for adults who work and they help you get your bachelor's degree. And that's how I got it. And then from that degree, I was accepted in all three social work schools, Fordham, NYU, and Columbia. So this is all post-divorce. And I've written three books post-divorce also. You know, this has all happened since my divorce. So looking at my own deficit was where I came in contact with my power, my mm-hmm. personal power to make change, to help other people, to help my kids, to be a good example, etc., rather than sitting around whining about what happened, which I could. You know, I could spend a lot of time doing that, but it's not productive. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, you looked at your career in graphic design, 
and realized that that was just not going to be enough to be able to make up the shortfall after the typical bills were paid from child support and whatever there might be. And then you looked internally to figure out what can I do to make up that shortfall. But that's hard. This is a topic that we talk about with a lot of women who have maybe either been at home, not had a career or have had a career, but maybe that career was not the breadwinning career, could have been acting or, you know, it could have been anything in the arts. Exactly. Anything in the arts. Mm -hmm. And the lifestyle that they had just can't be sustained based on what they're receiving in child support, spousal maintenance, and maybe any income off their investments. But many of them get stuck, get stuck in this, well, I'm not going to work. Mm-hmm. I've seen he that too. should do X. Right. And I don't want to say that that's not a valid argument. Maybe it is. But how would you recommend a woman to be able to recognize that, accept that she's angry about that, but to be able to move into her power as you did to move beyond, to create the life that I think you're such a great example, Mickey, because I imagine you have much more financial flexibility than you ever would have had had you stayed as a graphic designer. Absolutely. Yeah, that you moving into this power and you making this decision really was so helpful for you long-term. And I also imagine your children. The thing that I am most proud of, I believe, is that Mm -hmm. my kids saw me get going and putting my energies to work to make things better. I've seen many divorce cases. The women that I see really do well, particularly people who are home taking care of kids for 10, 12, 15 years, are the people who decide that they're going to work, they're going to get a job, they're going to start somewhere, they're going to dig in, they're going to do it. Versus the people who say, I'm not going to get a job because it's going to affect my financial deal with my ex-husband. I don't really believe that's true. But they become more of a victim by not taking charge. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I was not going to accept for myself. I was not going to stay in the victim role. I had spent some time there, but it made me sick, Mm -hmm. literally. Mm -hmm. I found myself needing more surgeries and things like that. And then when I became in touch with my own power and started investing in myself in various ways, of course, I still had kids at home and I had to juggle. And I think that's really important to know. You did this while you were working with four children. Yes. And going to college. Yes. So two of my kids were already pretty much either in college or out. So they weren't home all the time, but I had two who were home So I had to keep an eye on them, but I wound up deciding, well, Empire State College is a great thing to know about if people need a bachelor's degree. SUNY Empire State College is a SUNY school and you get a SUNY degree and they work with adults so that they're flexible. There are courses online, there are courses in person. You can rack up a lot of lifetime credit for a college level experience that you've had, which I really racked up a lot of credit in that case, because I was always a reader. I had taken classes here and there. And if you can combine all that information, then they will give you credit for it if it's college level. And it sped me along. So I would get up in the morning at six and I would be on the computer from six to eight, grab a shower, go to work. 
mm-hmm. then come back and I might be able to edit something at night, but usually I was too tired. So I just did my work from six to eight. But as long as if I needed a delay or a postponement in the schedule, the teachers there are great. So they're really good for people like me coming back to get a degree with a lot of responsibility already. They Mm -hmm. really work with you. So I give them a big plug. I'm very grateful to them for helping me with that. And kudos for you of then being able to use that credit and go on to Columbia, one of the best universities in the entire nation. So that's something to say too, that this is is a really good base for you to launch. Maybe you don't want to get a master's, but if you want to, you've got an amazing base to be able to look at those options. Well, the thing about a SUNY Empire State is that if you get through that program, you show that you are an independent person, that you take deadlines, that you take those things seriously, and universities are interested in that. And the write-up that they give you is very personal versus a transcript because they get to know you over the years. And at my college graduation, when I got my bachelor's, we all have a chance as individuals to speak at the graduation. So I was able to say a few words. And my kids were in the audience and they saw me get it. And I could still get choked up thinking about how much it meant to me at that time, you know? So it's such a different feeling than thinking about my damn ex-husband who won't pay this or that. It makes all the difference in the world to switch focus to, all right, what do I need for myself? What do I need to do? So I started this 12-step divorce recovery group. And from there, I realized that helping people through divorce was it. That was what I wanted to do. And so then I knew I had to get my master's. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's how it all transpired. But the 12-step programs are excellent for examining self. Yeah. So tell me about this 12-step program and the groups that you've created you know, what does that look like? Are there groups that meet on a monthly basis that you host? And then you also use this through your collaborative coaching and the divorce process. Do you also have one-on-one individual clients? How does that actually, that 12 step, how does that play out in your practice and all the different options of the different ways individuals can take advantage of that? Well, I think there are many groups that started throughout the United States. There were groups from time to time that start. They stay for like eight, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, a couple of months. The group that I ran and just retired from was going for 25 years. Oh my God. So yeah, we never missed a Monday night for 25 years, except holidays where we couldn't use the church. I have a book, which is all about starting a group if your listeners are interested and they can always call me. We'll have contact information at the end and I'm happy to help people get a group started if they want. So many people who have never heard of the steps or you know, not in any of the 12-step programs really embrace them in this context. So mm-hmm. that's something good to know. I do see people individually. I am a psychotherapist and a lot of the tools I use are empowering women to do what I did, so to speak. I mean, not that they have to do exactly what I did, but the people who get the most from my work, I think, are women who are trying to rebuild after the situation Mm -hmm. because it's really hard to come back and get the nerve, the courage to take a step forward. So that is my favorite kind of work, actually. I also really love marriage counseling because having seen what divorce does, mm-hmm. I really try to help people stay together if they possibly can. So it's another aspect of my work. So, but I do use the tools and collaborative process because I live these principles, you know, mm-hmm. so it kind of comes through everything I do. 
but I am a big, big believer in collaborative divorce, as I know you are, because it really helps the entire family move forward. Everyone is considered, it's not me against you. It's about how do we make this work? Yeah. How do we take care of everybody? And my role as the coach on the team is to really get my arms around the family and look at them as a whole, look at them as individuals and see what we can do to be sure that everybody is considered and taken care of. And where does work need to be done? Who has deficits as we were talking about? What about the kids? What's happening with them? How can we support them? What do they need? So it's a beautiful process. Divorce is terrible regardless of what process you choose. It's a really difficult transition to make. But collaborative divorce and mediation, the out-of-court models, are the best ways to go, in my opinion. Because if you have kids, you don't want to make an enemy of your ex. Yes. Because you have many years to go that you're going to be connected in one way or another. My ex-husband and I still see each other at weddings. Now we have grandchildren. So we're at grandchildren's events here and there. And there is no time when I could say, I'm never going to see him again. And we're okay now anyway. I mean, it's, you know, we're fine. But the thing I always tell people, when you're deciding to go through divorce or going through divorce, you don't want to make an enemy of your ex because there are many occasions where you're going to be sitting with that person waiting for your grandchild to be born or, you know, your grandchild's first communion or, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. You're never going to really be done with your ex. No, you're not. Just because the kids are 18 or 21. Right. They're still going to be there. Right. One of the things I wanted to ask you, and you touched on it really quickly, but I'd love to dive in more because I know our listeners will benefit. The myth or misconception that you talked about of if you go back to work or start that process during their divorce of kind of more training or education or whatever, looking for a job, that that's going to negatively impact your financial settlement. Right. Tell me more about that because that is one of the biggest fears that I hear women talk about and their reason they point to of why they decide not to launch their career, at least during the divorce process. Well, generally speaking, if a person's been out of work for a number of years, which is the people we're talking about here, if they don't have jobs, they're not going to come back in to the job market on their husband's level, who's been working continuously. If we're talking about a stay-at-home mom and a man who's focusing on his career. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to come in at the same level anyway. If she just starts back to work after 10 years, she's going to have to get something and start building. That takes time. Mm -hmm. The support package will equalize it somewhat, you know, regardless of whether you're working or not working, Mm -hmm. that the support package will have the higher earner still paid support because there's no way that that person on an introductory level or coming back after years is going to make the money that the other person's going to make. So there is a provision in maintenance for someone to still get plenty of assistance for a while, but maintenance is only temporary anyway. Yeah. So you have to get going. And the life your life is the rest of your life. I mean, what about this as a thought that, you know, for many women, if they're going back to work, 
their child expenses go up. Mm-hmm. They go up because of childcare, additional camp that's needed maybe during the summer sure. when you know the kids are off for three months and she's now in a career. Is that another factor to consider that you know you may be getting additional add-on income, yes. you know, income from your husband to cover these add-ons of camp, of babysitting, and some of those other things, those those new costs that you're going to incur so that you're not going to be losing child support or maintenance spousal maintenance dollar for dollar. In fact, you will, especially long-term and most likely even short-term, still be financially ahead versus if you weren't working. Does that sound right? I think so. I mean, it really depends on the case. That's, yeah. that's what I've seen, that there's you know a variety of ways it can go. But the way I feel about it, and I believe having seen what I've seen, is that the sooner a person gets going on building something because it's going to take years. It doesn't pop right back. Yeah. The better. And then my sense of self is in my hands, as opposed to my waiting for that person I'm so angry at to agree to what I want. Yeah. And I've also seen that people who have gotten a job or have worked and applied and tried going back to school, you know, they're making an effort that there's more respect for that person by all the lawyers, by the ex potentially, certainly by your children, mm-hmm. that you're not waiting to get a handout and that's all you're going to get. You're going to fight for that. I mean, certainly people need help to raise their children. I'm not trying to say that people shouldn't have child support or alimony or maintenance or any of that, but there's something that's so healthy about taking care of oneself and being a good example for kids, however that seems. Yeah. Whether you become a yoga instructor or you become an executive assistant to start off with or get a refresher course because you have to get your CPA license back up or whatever it may be, that kind of activity is soul building. You know, It really makes us feel like we're doing something. When I went back to school, even just my first class, I wasn't even sure if I could do it. And the mentor at Empire State College said, of course you can do it and take two courses. I said, I don't know if I can take two courses. I'm telling you, take two courses. Well, I did take two courses and I did fine. And it's a pass fail anyway. You know, you're not like really striving for that A. And so it made me feel so good. Yeah. You know, it was really a building block for me going forward. And I was energized by working with people who were going through divorce in a non-professional capacity then. So the thing I also wanted to mention is that within all of us, there's a spark of something that makes us feel really good about the kind of thing we may want to do. And I say to people, pursue it. Find an avenue, find a way, find a door and go through that door till you find the next door. And you just keep building on broadening your experience because that's where you should be. Yeah. Joseph Campbell says, follow your bliss. You know, that was his famous uh, Mm -hmm. quote. And someone else said that if you love your work, you never work a day in your life, you know, because it's just such a fun thing to do, a good thing to do. So I think that's the way to, you know, start pulling ourselves together. It's a big challenge, though. I don't minimize it. Yeah. And I love Joseph, you know, follow your bliss as his quote. 
and you are right. There's a lot of challenge. There are a lot of women that will say, well, I want to work, but the workforce doesn't really want me. And I wanted to focus on a story of a client that is one of those moms who stayed home for over a decade. And she really thought about her bliss and what she wanted to do because it became very clear that she was going to need to work because of the financial shortfall after the divorce. And bless her, she put together her resume, hired a career coach to kind of help her do that because it was something that, again, how do I make 10 years at home plus what I had done years and years, decades ago? She did that. And then she went out to every single person in her network and said, these are the types of jobs I would like the titles. Mm -hmm. And these are the companies or types of companies. And from there, she got six job interviews by going out to her network. And so, you know, something that I just really want women to know, yes, it's challenging. This is not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, but get your support, get the right people to help you get that resume in shape, the right career counselors and Mm -hmm. consultants to help you think about what the right field might be good for you to, Mm -hmm. to really meet your bliss and then use your contacts because any woman who's been at home has as much of a network as pretty much any other woman who's been working. It's just her network may be a little different. It may not be CEOs, but it may be someone who's on the board of, you know, the junior league, or it may be someone else, the other moms, other families, you know, using that and realizing that use your network, whatever your network is, and that's going to help move you and really launch you ahead. I've seen that too, where people have just decided to put themselves out there and tell their friends and so forth, and they almost always get a job. Yeah. And once you have a job, it's easier to get another job. Exactly. You know, it, just it may not be going. your ideal bliss job, right? but eventually you're on that path. Right. You're on that path. Yeah. yeah. So there's a couple other things I wanted to talk about before we finish, and this one is a big one. How do you deal with the rejection that you might feel when your spouse starts to date or your spouse ends up getting married? And then there's all these other questions of, you know, how do you talk to the children about that and all the trickle down? What are your thoughts about that? And then, of course, you know, when is it a right time for you to start to date? When's the typical woman ready to start to date and what that looks like? Answering the first question first. It's very, very challenging when a person is left for another person and the person's aware of it. So if the husband chooses someone else and says, you know, I want a divorce, it is extremely challenging. It makes things much harder to come back emotionally. It's really tough. So the thing that I would say right away, if you can find a divorce support group, the Catholic Church has a series of them often, which is surprising because they don't recognize divorce really, but they have support groups. Find a support group to go to. Start one if you can't find one. That's what I did. I couldn't find one, so I started one. Being with other people really help. If you're feeling alone and abandoned, that is a terrible feeling. It leads to depression. It's very difficult. So connect with other people. That is really important. And connect with other people in a way that is not about you grousing about how awful it is and what he did and said and all that. You know, you need a good friend to talk to about that, but you also need to connect. You mentioned the network. 
you know, talk to your network, ask friends to go to the movies, get out there. Community connection. Exactly. Human beings aren't meant to be isolated. And if we're isolated, it's not good. It's not a good thing. We need to connect. We need to feel connected. We need to make phone calls. One of the best things we can do is volunteer, actually give work with kids, work with the homeless, work with battered women. You know, there are a lot of different things that we can do that make ourselves feel much better. Yeah. So it goes back to the other point that I was making. I have to take care of myself. I'm not going to be able to control him and what he's doing, what he's saying. All I could do is live my life, do the best I can, draw it in and get to work, get to work. But connection is really important. Church, synagogue, PTA, whatever it may be that, you know, are your options. If you have a passion, like say you want to learn to oil paint or you want to play bingo, do it. You know, get out, try it, do it. And what was the second question you asked me? How do you talk to the kids Um, if your spouse is dating someone else? And maybe you've moved to a place where it's been some time and you're ready and you're dating someone. And does that depend on if the kids are young or if they're older? Well, first of all, I think that people should be divorced. It should be done. I don't think that people should date while they're still married, you Mm -hmm. know, even if you're separated, get the deal done. If you are dating somebody and your spouse knows about it, it's going to complicate your settlement. So get the settlement done, make a clean break, and then, you know, very smart advice. Very smart, Nikki. Because it's a disaster if there's another person in the picture. Plus, when you fall in love or really are infatuated, which is what it always is in the beginning, I call it the pink cloud period where you don't really think straight. You know, everything's going to be fine. Oh, it's all going to work out. You know, I'm so happy, blah, blah, blah. No, don't do that until you're finished. Get your deal done. Then when it comes to the kids, if it's your spouse's situation where he is dating someone, let him explain it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to weigh in. You can just say, ask daddy, you know, if you have a question stay out of it. If it's me dating and my kids ask me about it, the main point is not to bring any other individual into the kids' lives until you are really secure with who this person is. Mm -hmm. You should be dating quite a while, months, Mm -hmm. before you're talking about bringing this person to the children. You have to vet this person. Yeah. You have to know who this person is. So if you meet somebody on Match, you know Zip, you know, regardless of what it says in the profile or whatever. If someone introduces you, you know, it's somebody that you know and you know more about, that's a little safer. But when you're dealing with people you just meet online or whatever, you have to vet these people before you bring them around your kids. And you should not Bring them around the kids until you really believe that this person's going to be in your life for a while, not just some fly-by-night date. Yeah. Or you've seen the person a couple of times. No, the person needs to be vetted because the kids get sometimes attached. Yeah, understandably, right? And then they lose again yeah. because they've already going lost to, their mind to the trauma, trauma again. Right. It's interesting. So here, a different subject, but that goes to show how important it is to take time, we require a six-month internship for any of our junior people coming here at Francis Financial. 
And then after a six month internship, we talk about, is it a good fit for you to, to come on board with us long-term? And what's great about six months is that you get to know that person mm -hmm. on the good days, the bad days, all different situations. So yes. your comment about bless bringing someone to your most precious asset in the world, your children, right? Again, make sure you take a good amount of time and many months because it's easy, at least in my opinion, it's easy to fake oh, things yes. for a few dates, but six months of dates, typically it's beyond difficult to fake that. It's true. Yeah. And it really takes two years to get to know somebody. Yeah. For real, you know, like to, Interesting. you've been through. I have not downs. heard of that. Yes. I wouldn't say you have to wait two years to introduce somebody. Yeah. But you certainly shouldn't get married for two yeah. years. Because I imagine that there's different life cycles of their life that they're going to go through in those two years. So you can mm -hmm. see them in all of those different unique circumstances and situations. Definitely. Yeah. And that's what you want to see. I am married for the second time for a long time now, but we were together for four years before we got married, mm -hmm. not living together, but just seeing each other. And he would met the kids finally and so on and so on. But the thing I knew as I was walking down the aisle to him was that we could solve problems. We had been through some life stuff. He lost his father. I had some issues with my kids. There were various things that happened that we worked on together yeah. and at that point i knew that because nothing's perfect yeah that if there's a problem we can fix it you know we can work on it together and he's not demanding i do it his way and i'm not demanding he does it my way that's an important thing to know because yeah. the kids can't go through a lot of loss i mean it's not fair to ask them you have to be really pretty sure before you bring this person into your life exactly exactly any other things you think is really important to talk about before we wrapped up? Because I know we're starting to get towards the end of the podcast or things that you think these women, you know, kind of parting advice to our listeners today. I have very good advice given to me and I'll pass it on. And that is, if you have a decision, whether you should say something or not, do something or not, buy something or not, whatever it may be, run it by the test of, is this going to be good for the kids? Because if it's good for the kids, it's a good decision. If it's not good for the kids, don't do it. And that has been very valuable to me, even though my kids are grown, married, parents, I still use that test. If something comes up, my feelings are hurt or whatever, which still happens, you know, we're human. Yeah. Is, do I need to tell them this? Mm -hmm. Most of the time, no. Yeah. So is it good for them? No, especially with little kids. I mean, you yeah. have a long way to go. Yeah. So if you make decisions based them on whether it's good for the kids or not. And that is so easy to ask that question. Mm -hmm. And it can be used in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine, you know, taking a trip with the family to see their papa in Florida. Is that good for the kids for us? Yes, that would be a good thing to do. Buying another car because we didn't want the clunky one that is... 10 years old, but still works just fine. Is that good for the kids? Probably not. Right. But here are things that are just day to day. That gives you the answer. It does give you the answer. Right? You're only as happy as your unhappiest kid. Yeah. So if your child is not doing well, no material thing is going yeah. to make up for that. Yeah. So thank you so much, Mickey, because I'm going to steal those two things. And 
put them on my life because I can only be better then. So thank you. You're welcome. How do people find out about you? Do you have a website where um, I do? Okay. I have two. One is the divorce What a great URL. I don't. Really I was good. so happy with it. The divorce coach. Dot com. Dot com. Right. You need the in front. The and, and that, and that also com. says how long that you've been doing this, Maggie. Right. 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 You don't get that URL because you just started yesterday. Right. That's right. That's <laughs> right. And the other one is mickeymcwade.com. Okay, great. And what um, we'll do for everyone listening, we're going to put those two hyperlinks right in the show notes. So you can go there and see everywhere, you know, how to contact you unless you want to give an email. That's fine too. But we'll sure. make sure that your information is there. On the divorcecoach.com, I have an offer there that people who want to ask me a question can call me free of charge. It's a complimentary question and they can book it on the divorcecoach.com. Oh, wonderful. And just so that I'll give you my email, M McWade, M for Mary, M for Mary, C, W A D E at Mac.com. Okay. So people can also email me if they have questions or concerns. Great. We'll put that there. Well, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for everyone listening in to Financially Ever After. This is Stacey Francis. If you have any questions, particularly about your financial settlement and whether or not it's the right settlement for you, if you're having challenges uh, filling out that statement of net worth with less every penny you spend down to what you put on Starbucks and each asset and the current value, that's what we want to help you with. And we would be happy to chat with you. We have a free second opinion for qualified potential clients where we will go through and do a full analysis of your overall financial picture down to the individual holdings in your 401k and outside too. So it's a great place to start to get smart, smart to get savvy. And most importantly, thank you for tuning in to Financially Ever After. And we'll be coming to you in two weeks.